Alright, welcome back to Hacker Slacker. I'm Jacob Petticord. And I'm Andre Garibe. And this week, my mom asked me, what the heck is going on with Elon Musk? And I thought, <laughs> that'd be a good show topic. So, Isn't that a question we all have? Yeah, we are definitely going to be covering that later for our main topic. Uh, first, we got some news and some follow-up. So, uh, first of all, uh, data plans and 5G. Uh, there was a report, I think, by The Verge, where someone was just talking about, like, um, with these new speeds that are coming up, the data plans are going to have to adjust like a lot. And there's phones that are coming out this year that are supposed to support 5G. So it's, um, they're kind of in crunch time right now in terms of uh, getting the plans up to speed with that. So um, just an example was that the new Huawei like 5G phone component is supposed to be able to allow you to download a one gigabyte movie in three seconds oh wow which is incredibly fast like it's insane it's basically like fiber internet speeds but then when you look at that and you compare it to like the typical data plan you could use that up in uh you could use a 10 gigabyte data plan in in 30 seconds so like just think you accidentally like hit download on like the wrong thing don't notice it for 30 seconds and then boom your monthly data is like completely spent now all of a sudden you're back on 3g or whatever they bump you down to yeah that is insane i mean obviously 5g is going to be expensive for everybody to implement but like i don't want my unlimited lte plan to be messed up because other people have 5g well when you think about if they did give you an unlimited 5g plan it's like you could download an insane amount of stuff extremely quickly like that's a lot of load to put on the carriers it really is but um obviously they'll be capable of it um i would hope that they would have proper infrastructure before they release a product but uh yeah yeah 5g is kind of crazy and when you think about like how quickly that data is being downloaded it enables like more crazy or like ar experiences you know where you're downloading like more complicated 3d information you know maybe like live streaming games or something like that just Mm -hmm. it really opens up the possibilities beyond just like streaming like up to 4k video or something like that you know it goes a lot farther yeah i mean i think uh a lot of 5g is like hype right because a lot of people are super excited for 5g to come out right but um i i think it could definitely be one of the great um, innovations in consumer technologies because LTE is fast, right? Like 3G was enough. LTE is like fast so you can like really rely on data, but 5G is going to hit a point where your data is faster than your Wi-Fi. Yeah, it's uh like I think we mentioned a, a little bit ago that phones are going to have to start adjusting to like choose which one is a better option for you. Yeah. But another like they're going to have to start taking into account like your data plan, you know, cuz if you're on like a typical plan right now, maybe it's an unlimited plan like quote unquote, but you start getting throttled after like 50 gigs. Yeah. So it's like you could maybe watch a YouTube video super fast and that might not be a huge deal, but then when it comes to like downloading something huge maybe it should say hey we're gonna wait for wi-fi because i'm on a plan where you know if i download this 20 gigabyte thing right now i might get screwed later so yeah yeah. uh the next piece of follow-up we have is more samsung foldy phones (laughs) which that's just what i titled it i mean it's ridiculous (laughs) i think this this came out today it was like a report by bloomberg that their samsung is announcing two new foldable phones and this is on top of the galaxy fold so they're saying the Galaxy Fold is coming out this year, and there are these two new devices that they say that they're going to be releasing. Um, one that folds 
I, I'm calling it like the hamburger way. You know how in grade school they would tell when you, you to, fold paper, you hamburger, fold, or hot dog. Yeah, hamburger or hot dog. This one folds hamburger. So I mean, think like um, the that Game Boy that would fold down like that. They're saying it it folds like that so that you can use it kind of like a clamshell laptop style. So it's like a it's like a flip phone, like an old school flip phone with a touch screen. Yeah, it's it's very strange. I don't know if it's gonna be more flip phony or more like have a keyboard setup the way they said clamshell, but I I. I cannot imagine it. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what comes out of that. And then they said they're also going to do one in the style of the Mate X, where like it is a, the screen's on the outside purely. So, so I've actually looked at a lot of stuff with the Mate X, and I really like it. Like they they seem to have implemented it properly, at least in my eyes, to to the point where we we see that there's this folding screen technology, but it's really hard to implement it properly. So with the Mate X, you get a nice screen experience. So there's one of there's some video where they're playing some mobile game. Um, I don't know if you've seen this video, but I saw it on my Instagram um, explore page where he's basically like playing a game on, on the like, plane. Um, I think I saw this. He's like playing like a MOBA game or something. Yeah, he's playing some like sort of a, MOBA game. And then he pops and it he open. pops it open and it like switches right over and he's playing like he's on an iPad. Yeah. And that kind of, uh, I don't know. It's, it's a proof of usefulness to me where it's like, there's at least one case in which this is useful. Yeah. I mean, I think that people will be able to come up with it. Um, and then along with like these rumors of the Samsung more foldy phones, there was like a, an Apple supplier came out and said that they're working on flexible displays. So, it shows that maybe, you know, at least the people Apple work with are getting into this. Um, yeah. So that could happen eventually. But I, the kind of the backlash around the, the Folds design after people saw what the Huawei Mate X has makes me think that Samsung is already committed on the way the Fold is going to come out. But they are letting people know that they are kind of open to these other designs. And yeah. maybe they strategically leaked this rumor to say, like, hey, we know, like, we are planning on doing bigger and better things with the Fold. Like, don't abandon us over the mate just yet. Yeah. But, yeah, that's the the follow-up we got. So now we're going to move into the news. Um, this one is, like, it probably comes across as, like, developer-y news, but I think it's actually pretty big in terms of, like, the future of the Internet. Um, the W3C Consortium, which I don't have a huge understanding about this, but, like, they pr- approve a lot of web standards – they approved a new standard called Web Auth N yeah, this week. Yeah, I, I saw this. Yeah, and so um, this is a huge step in terms of kind of getting us out of the the dark age of passwords and moving us towards like um, like biometrics and authenticating with websites using things like you know your Touch ID fingerprint sensor, your Face ID, and like YubiKeys and that sort of thing. Yeah. So one of the things that. Um, I had to do when I worked at Google this past summer was use a physical security key. Really? Okay, I've never actually used these. I've only heard of them. You should explain yeah. them. So I, I held on to this little USB security key that um, you, like, plug in. So it worked on my desktop and my Chromebook. I had, like, a USB-C adapter that they gave us to plug it into my Chromebook. And then to be able to log into the device and then also to be able to log into, like, um, internal sites and such we had to basically I kept it plugged in and then you have to press the button 
Yeah. Um, so they know that a physical action is taken and it, that means, so we also used two factor authentication. So I had to type in my long complicated password that I made for um, my actual Google account. But then I also had to touch this button so they know, uh, because two-factor authentication is obviously, uh, you know something and you have something. So um, yeah, so like this is um, obviously it's, you know, it's useful for a second factor, right? Like uh, if you have a password and then it like also takes your touch ID, that's incredibly secure. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's another way that they could do it where your primary factor is your biometrics, yes. and, and I really like that. You could back up to like an email or a phone number or something like that. Yeah. And because, you know, there's a thing around, well, like, oh, if your password is your fingerprint, what happens if your, like, device gets destroyed or something? Like, how would you recover that? You are going to need some sort of a fallback thing. Yeah. Um, And this is actually kind of where I could see some sort of, like, you know, your government provided, like, security. You know, I could see the government providing some way to identify, you know, who you are. And then you can use that to kind of, like, branch out into these different platforms. Does that make sense? Like Yeah, so it's like... When people try to steal your social security number right now, it's because that's an easy mm-hmm. way to physically steal your identity. But in the future, they want to steal your physical security key or whatever you happen to use as your authentication on the web. Yeah, and then if I can go into the DMV and say, like, I broke my phone, I need back into my accounts, or, like, someone yeah. stole my phone. I know it sounds weird to, like, say go into the DMV for that sort You're of just going to say nobody wants to go to the DMV. <laughs> yeah, but there's just, like, there's some sort of a thing here where someone, if we're switching to all of these, like, uh, these physical proofs instead of passwords, like, there could be some sort of, like, a central authority on going somewhere to prove who you are so you can get back into your accounts or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. So, um, we might see this by the end of the year, um, implemented. It's coming to Chrome, Safari, Edge, uh, Firefox, everything. It's actually in a Firefox, like technical preview already. So you can go check out the demo if you have a YubiKey. Yeah. And, um, wasn't, was it Dropbox that has actually started allowing this? Yeah, um, Dropbox is implementing it, so, so this is, they're on the forefront. This is another big thing about um, this type of authentication is that um, it's not just the uh, p- the device makers, and it's not just the browser developers. It's the actual web app developers who also need to implement this, yeah. um, and I think that's what's probably going to take the longest, but I definitely wouldn't be shocked to see a lot of... Um, places especially like facebook or well one of the biggest reasons i think that this could take off quicker than people think is because i log in with google on every website that i can because i know it's like my most secure account because i have the and i'm logged into google on my chrome browser as well yeah so there's a lot of uh services that let you log in with google Mm -hmm. and google is definitely going to be on the forefront of like implementing this so i could easily see me being able to use this on like 80 percent of the sites i use just if google adopts it you know yeah um, so yeah, that could be pretty cool. Get rid of passwords by the end of the year. I would love to see it. Um, password managers are all right, but they're definitely not ideal, especially when we have all this stuff built into our devices. Um, and really all it would take is for, uh, websites to adopt this and then Apple to expose some sort of like API to their browser that these websites can see to be yeah. like, Hey, we're going to authenticate with the fingerprint right here. So, yeah, yeah. Like I'm sure like Safari could just use the touch ID on my MacBook or my face ID. Yeah. And um, if Apple is supporting this in Safari, I'm sure they're not just doing it to support the USB keys. I'm assuming absolutely. that they're d- developing like with their, uh, their own hardware. Cause it's th- their authentication hardware is very good. Yeah. They're secure enclave. Yes. 
But yeah, okay. So next is kind of related to Apple devices and hardware. Uh, Thunderbolt 3 is going royalty-free. This is something um, Intel's promised, um, but they are kind of releasing Thunderbolt 3 out into the wild. It's their uh, proprietary technology. You see it on a lot of, you see it on the, all the new MacBooks and a lot of new Windows laptops, but not all of them. And it, this move will kind of open it up to more things. So um, the USB-C, you know, big, another big like a uh, standards group is saying that it's going to be a part of USB 4 when that comes out. Um, and mm -hmm. so removing the licensing around it kind of opens it up to be cheaper for companies to include in their devices. Yeah, and I mean, for the past few years, we've heard a lot of talk about, oh, USB-C is the future, USB-A is going to be gone, that's why the newer MacBooks all just have USB-C, which is Thunderbolt 3 as well. Um, so I think we are going to see the revolution in which everything turns to USB-C, except for Apple and their weird proprietary technologies. Um, well, even, I mean, the iPad with the... Yeah, the iPad. Um, I'm more talking, like, iPhone. Um, I thought you were thinking I'm, that the iPhone's going to get I'm the USB-C. I'm a USB big proponent of USB-C uh, on the iPhone. I will stick to my guns saying that they should do that. Um, the more and more I think about it, I don't know if they will. Yeah. Um, so I think, though, that pretty much every smartphone, um, and then, yeah, pretty much every smartphone has switched over to USB-C. Very few are still left on micro USB, but... Um, I don't know if any are still left on micro USB. That'd yeah, be crazy. Uh, but a lot of um, peripherals, like uh, headphones, um, a lot of wireless headphones still charge on micro USB. Oh, yeah which is kind of like when you look at tech reviewers on YouTube, that's always a big problem that they have with it because they all have like the newest smartphones and the newest laptops and everything, and everything is on USB-C, but then they have to bring around one micro USB to charge their super high-end headphones as well. Like the Sony WH-1000MX, or 1000X fancy noise Mark III, like the top-notch top ones, micro USB. Um... I don't know what ones the Surface headphones use. Um, Bose uses the the QC35's Mark II. I don't think they've come out with the Mark III yet, but those also use micro USB. So I think things like that, things like wireless mice, Logitech still uses the micro USB on their um, MX line. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how quickly everything shifts over because I think it'll be pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, we've been seeing this USB-C transition for a while now, and it's, you know, it's just as slow of a process as I think everyone thought it would be, but hopefully eventually we'll start to see, like, devices that can benefit from Thunderbolt 3, like, uh, like external drives, external displays, yes. external graphics cards, all these things can hopefully become cheaper and faster um, with this kind of out in the wild. Um, yeah. And along with that, um, so Intel will be building this into their, they'll be building Thunderbolt 3 into their Intel CPUs in the future. Um, what The way it works right now is you have to buy a separate chip. So like your MacBook has a Thunderbolt 3 specific chip in there, but those will be built right into the Intel CPUs. But um, with the way that Intel is kind of putting this out into the wild, if Apple switches over to ARM, they can also build their own Thunderbolt 3 
chips um, to go along with that and do it royalty free. So one of the big problems people had with Apple moving over to their own chips is they're saying, oh, they're going to lose Thunderbolt. Well, this week it just became possible that no, they're not going to lose Thunderbolt. And they probably knew this was going to happen and have been planning for it. So I think it just shows that uh, this is another signal that Apple will be moving off of Intel eventually. And I mean, Apple's pretty good at making chips, so I don't really see any problems with that. But um, yeah, I think it's a really good innovation. USB 4 is going to be really good. It's going to be really fast. Um, I think it said like three times as fast as USB 3. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that should be pretty uh, fun to see how it all plays out. Yep. Okay, so up next, uh, we've kind of talked about the Netflix of podcast with Spotify acquiring some uh, proprietary content, but a startup came out of stealth this week called Luminary, and one of the first lines in the first paragraph of this article by the New York Times kind of announcing their existence was the founder calling themselves the Netflix of podcasts. So uh, this company, Luminary, is launching, um, I think, in the next couple months. And they're starting out with 40 exclusive shows, including shows with uh, late night hosts Conan O'Brien and Trevor Noah, a show with Malcolm Gladwell. Is that um, um, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend or something? Is it that one that oh, he's Oh, I don't doing? remember. Uh, I heard uh, him talk about it on a separate podcast, um, that he was going to do a podcast. Yeah, so they also got the people behind How I Built This, the creator of that, to do an exclusive show with them, the creator behind Slow Burn. Slow um, Burn, that was a really good podcast series. I listened to the Nixon season, and I'm about halfway through the Clinton season, um, but it's a very well-done podcast. Yeah, and then another guy from behind Planet Money. So, like, all of these uh, names uh, are making new shows exclusively on Luminary, and... That is kind of their big pitch to get uh, people over to the platform. Um, it's not a strategy that we've really seen before, like getting just acquiring this volume of shows. And they've definitely done it through like VC funding. They've raised over $100 million. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a lot of VC money in there. Yep. So it's a, a one fee paid subscription to access these shows. There will be no ads on the shows, just like Netflix. Um and then along with accessing their shows, their app will also just be a regular podcast player, so you can play normal podcasts through it as well. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest issue here is that I get a lot of really good podcasts, like too much for me to even listen to every week, completely for free. Um, so it's not like Netflix where you are in disrupting an industry in cable and movie theaters where it's very expensive to have those things and you made it cheaper you're actually making it more expensive making people pay for a free thing just for higher quality yeah it's eight dollars a month yeah um and i don't think eight dollars a month is worth it because i don't have enough time for that um maybe over the summer um i tend to listen to more podcasts and have a little bit more free time but uh, that's a lot of money for something that I can get for free already. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's like Netflix. I don't think uh, that's the exact business strategy they're going for. I think that's just kind of like a flashy name they threw out. What I think this is, is I think it's the HBO of podcasts. Yes. Because if one of these, you know, they're they're paying people with reputations to Mm -hmm. make highly produced shows that don't rely on ad revenue. And if they get their, you know, Game of Thrones of podcasts, exactly. that's what's going to get people into the app and what's going to get people paying the subscription. Yeah, like if there's some amazing podcast, one thing I think that we could see out of this is like a story podcast. I listened to one um, 
story podcast called The Bubble. I think I've talked about it on this podcast before, but it was really good, and it's the only, like, story podcast that I've listened to fully. They only have one season out right now, but I found it on Apple Podcasts, and I just, uh, I listened to it, and it was amazing. And I was like, wow, I could really see myself listening to this, because it's like a TV show completely for your ears. Um, and if you do the narration correctly, it can be done super well. And I think that's something that Luminary could also do. Yeah, they have a show coming out like that by a like playwright, like a legitimate like a Broadway playwright. He's writing a audio play, basically, yeah. for Luminary. So if any of these shows that they're producing with all this cash that they're spending, you know, generate enough buzz, it could really bring a lot of people onto this platform. Absolutely. I think it'd be good for them to be like, hey, listen to the first episode of this season. Um for free oh yeah i'm sure they'll do that yeah so if they if they're like hey this is a super popular podcast you might like uh give it a listen for free and i really like it i may pay eight bucks even just for a month so i can listen to one season of a podcast or something yeah and then you might forget that you're paying that eight bucks and you might be paying them all that good uh recurring revenue that they're Uh, after subscription culture we talked about it last week but it's ever present in the modern world yeah okay so um up next this is not really a news story but <laughs> this thing yeah so there's a uh, a newsletter i subscribe to it's like the product hunt newsletter and it's kind of just like a a fire hose of like things people are launching on the internet so yeah. i kind of scroll through it and see what's up and i haven't really found enough things to make it like a recurring segment on the show but every now and then i find something where it's like mm, i should talk about this on the show yeah so uh this one that i saw is called expensive chat um and basically what it is, is it is a chat room online. You go there, it looks just like a iMessage chat or whatever, where you pay one penny per letter. Yes, I saw this. I clicked on the link. Um, did you tweet it from the account, the Hacker yeah, Soccer account? Yeah, So I saw, I have tweet notifications on for that. So I saw it and I clicked on it. And I quickly realized it is like all ads. Yeah, it's it was essentially a social experiment. So it was started by this kind of like prolific maker. And, um, you know, you uh, get into the chat room and I kind of followed it from the day it, it launched. So I saw it at the beginning and there would be about like 200 some people in the room and uh, it would be like kind of half and half, half messages. And then someone would post a big long advertisement. You know, you pay like five bucks and all of a sudden you can get a 500 uh, emoji tall thing pointing at your username that says like you know go to this URL here or something so and now if you go back into the room I'm in here right now there's like 18 people in here and uh, it's all just like ads for like oh you know check out this thing for github check out uh, this uh, Russian thing with a bunch of phone numbers on that like, <laughs> yeah so people are paying money for it it's interesting but uh, I don't know there's been $648 spent, which isn't a lot of money, but it's a lot of letters uh, yeah. in terms of pennies. So, um, yeah, it was just an interesting little social experiment, and that's the type of stuff you get if you subscribe to our Twitter feed. Yeah. Um, also, somebody made 650 bucks off of that. Yeah, cool <laughs> 650 bucks, and it's it's a cool thing. I mean, I would be proud to make something like this. So Yeah. It uh, looks good. Like when you talk about UI like makers good. and hackers, like this is a classic, like just just a cool thing to throw together. Um, and it got people thinking about like, you know, what would happen if Twitter decided to charge one penny for every letter that you tweet, you know, mm-hmm. like one tweet, 240 characters, like it, it, ne- it never ends up getting like that expensive, but yeah. maybe it would stop you from, you know, making that like crappy reply to someone else's tweet and being a troll. Yeah. I mean, 
I think between my old Twitter account, um, rest in peace at Andre Garive, and my new Twitter account at Andre underscore Garive, um, I have like four thousand tweets. Um, oh geez. And if we if we assume that's like a third retweets, and then I don't know a hundred characters per tweet. That means dollar a tweet. Yeah, a dollar a tweet, a couple thousand times. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know if you would have paid all that money to send those tweets. Exactly. But maybe there's some way Twitter can use this for like, you know, if you're a, a business, like, I don't know, not like advertisements, but like just some higher quality form of Twitter where people have to spend more money to Twitter Pro, Twitter Plus, Twitter yeah. Gold, Twitter Prime. What what's it going to be called? <laughs> I I don't think that they're going to do this, but you know, <laughs> if there's just some stream of like higher quality tweets, you could see where people had to pay to say what they were thinking. I don't know. It'd be interesting. Interesting if there thought were, experiments. Uh, like like in moments, if they had some sort of um, moment about something where you had to pay to put your opinion into that moment. But if you paid for your tweet, you would actually be in that moment. That's true. Like responding to like some event that happened. Yeah. I think they could do a lot of really cool stuff with like live sports and, um, I don't know, Royal weddings, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. So, um, this next news item, you know, I like, I like to keep an eye on the Chinese, see what they're up to over there. They, uh, (laughs) They kind of give us a glimpse into kind of a potential dystopian future for us sometimes, and this is one of those cases. Uh, there was a report in the AP News about how the Chinese government banned millions from travel uh, during 2018 due to having bad social credit. Um, so if you were in bad standing with the Chinese government, there's a chance you tried to take a train or a plane, and they said, nope, you are not allowed to leave. I mean, being in bad standing with the Chinese government is never a good thing. You do not want to be in bad standing with the Chinese government. <laughs> but uh, anyways, um, they have been developing the social credit system, and it's kind of something I've been watching to see just how, like, 1984 it can get. Um, but right now, the from what I've observed of it, it seems like it's mostly, like, you get in bad social standing with the government by, like, committing crimes and not paying your taxes. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's not that crazy, like... It makes sense, you know, like, if you owe the government a lot of money, maybe they're not going to let you leave on a plane. Yeah. Um, but there's other things that, I mean, with the how open to interpretation it is, there's been reports of, like, you know, maybe you uh, are reported for taking up multiple seats on the subway. All of a sudden, your social credit's dinged, you know, just like, you know, maybe you were tweeting something anti-Chinese government. Oh, now your social credit's dinged, and maybe, you know, they're going to restrict some access to... Right now, it's some forms of travel, but maybe it'll be, you know, you're not allowed to use social media if you're tweeting things against the Chinese government. Um, it's just these systems that they're putting in place, they're uh, they're getting pretty intense. Yeah, so this AP article has a quote um, that says, a slogan repeated in state media says, quote, once you lose trust, you will face restrictions everywhere, end quote. Yeah. Which um, is terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if that is very Orwellian. Yeah. Uh, so they have a goal um, to get every single person in the country on file by 2020. Oh and the ways that they're doing this are kind of by at your typical, like, Chinese, um, uh, ch- like, security checkpoints. Uh, they're fingerprinting people and adding that to their file so they can get biometrics on people, start to track them wherever they go. That sort of thing. Um, if you're a foreigner entering in the U.S., you go through these same checkpointing systems. So, um, yeah, be sure you're being nice to the Chinese government because you might uh, 
accidentally find yourself there and not be able to leave because you don't have enough social credit to get out. Yeah. Um, quick note on China also. They've had this whole controversy about Huawei and um, American federal officers or American federal workers are not allowed to use Huawei phones um, because they think the Chinese government bugged them all. So um, we talked about this a while ago on laptop uh, motherboards and how they had done some tiny little inconsistency that allowed them to track basically everything. That was on server motherboards. Server motherboards, yes. Um, And so they think that they've done something similar but much more overt on Huawei uh, phones. Yeah, Um, I mean, their their basic thinking, and I think we might have talked about some of this on the Huawei episode, was just that um, Huawei as a company is like not very loosely owned by the Chinese state government. And so if they're like, oh, what we talked about was how the U.S. is kind of trying to make a hard stance against using Huawei telecom equipment. Yeah. But the same thing extends down to their hardware lines. So, like, mm-hmm. we the government has the same suspicions on, like, the Chinese government is basically producing these phones. And so, you know, if they know they're selling it to a U.S. government agency, then yeah. they might, you know, install something else on the chip, something in software, whatever they have to do. Yeah. What's crazy about this is earlier in the podcast we were praising um, how well they've done the Mate X, right? Like, they're great phones still, but... Uh, yeah, that's why it's could scary. very likely be spying on us. Yeah. Uh, if you listen to Trump's administration, that is exactly what they're doing. So, yes. yeah. All right. That's, it. that's all we got for the news this week. So we're going to take a quick break and get back to you with some Elon Musk. All right. Welcome back to this deep dive on uh, Elon Musk, the man, the myth. Um, we are kind of just mostly going to be covering his Twitter antics. So, um, first I'm going to kind of go into what has happened recently, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about the history and how we got here. So, um, Elon Musk sent out a tweet that said, Tesla made zero cars in 2011, but will make around 500,000 cars in 2019. So yeah, this was just kind of a flex out of nowhere. You know, he's just but kind of also a contempt of court. Yeah. He, <laughs> he was letting the people know. And that tweet kind of got him into, uh, the SEC told the judge to hold him into contempt of court, which is something that typically only happens. Um, if you like, uh, have like directly disobeyed a court order, which is exactly what they're saying he did. So, yes, We are going to uh, break that down and give you a little history on it. So, um, basically, he, like, saying they... So, to go back to the beginning, once we had Elon Musk, this crazy rocket man, crazy Tesla man, he's getting a lot done. He's an icon. PayPal money. Yeah, he's got that PayPal money, part of the PayPal mafia, you know, legendary Silicon Valley guy, legendary investor, lots of success, has these two public companies... And then the summer of 2018 happened, and, you know, he was doing things like... <laughs> dating calling, Grimes. He was dating Grimes. <laughs> he was calling a person who rescued some children who were stuck in a Brazilian cave a pedophile yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, that was weird. Uh, because, you know, they weren't using his rescue system that he proposed or something. That was all confusing. And then he really um, upped his Twitter game to legal levels by tweeting that he was thinking that he had an offer to take po- Tesla private um in august at 420 dollars a share 
which was significantly above Tesla's current stock price at the time. And um, also a joke for Grimes. Yeah, um, he I'm going to blame all of this on Grimes. Yeah, he said uh, <laughs> his estimate was around 419, but he upped it to 420 because he thought his girlfriend would think it's funny. Um, but basically, the shareholders didn't think it was funny. The SEC didn't think it was funny. No, they didn't. And I don't think his coworkers thought it was funny. You know, I don't. No. If I was on the board, I'd be pretty pissed. So, um, Tesla and Elon Musk have been dealing with short sellers, you know, for a while. Um, and there are people who kind of think that Tesla's gonna crash and burn, and they're betting on it in the stock market. Um, they're very active on Tesla stock. Um, it's kind of one of the more popular short selling bets. And so um, Elon Musk kind of lets this get under his skin, and it kind of comes out on Twitter sometime where he'll attack them. And um, after this event, he kind of started to accuse the SEC of you know, being against him as well, kind of just acting like a big baby. So um, he had that 420 tweet in August, um, and then the case was kind of pending. I think we were talking about this at the time. Yeah. In September, he went on Joe Rogan, smoked some ganja, and the Tesla stock plummeted that yeah. same day. It became um, a meme. It became a meme, uh, and all this while the SEC case was pending. And then September... Um, the SEC finally sued him, and a few days later, he settled uh, for a $20 million fine and banned from being chairman of a public company for three years, and he agreed to a clause saying that all of his communications relevant to shareholders or that would affect the stock price would be reviewed by Tesla's legal team, and that is where he got into trouble with this tweet. Um after this settlement um, in October, he went on a tirade calling SEC the Short Seller Enrichment Commission, um, <laughs> kind of just saying that, you know, they're all against him. It's him against the world. Uh, in December, he did a 60 Minutes interview that I actually watched. It was pretty interesting. Um, he said he uses his tweets to express himself, which, I mean, he didn't need to tell us that. Yeah. Um, he said he has no respect for the SEC, and he's only obeying the uh, the the judgment because he has respect for the U.S. justice system, apparently. But he said his tweets aren't being censored um, like they agreed to in the settlement because he said um, any of his tweets that, you know, don't move the stock ticker, those are protected by his First Amendment rights, which, while it's technically correct, you know, it prompts people to say, well, how are you going to be able to judge what you tweet is going to, if what you tweet is going to affect the stock ticker, you know, like especially after that interview with Joe Rogan where he smoked weed and that plummeted the stock. Yeah. Like there's just a lot of things that he could say that are borderline that affect people's perception of him and therefore their perception of the company. Um, and he said, you know, uh, I guess we'll make some mistakes was literally his response to that question. And so here we are um, three months, two months later, I guess, and he made some mistakes. Yes, he did. So, and yeah, the, when he tweeted, you know, a tweet saying, here's how many cars we're going to produce in 2019, um, and he tweeted a number that was, you know, higher than they'd previously reported, mm -hmm. he didn't really think that it would affect the shareholders' perception of the company. You know, tweeting significantly higher uh, unit production uh, in one of their their new models, uh, I mean, I think that's pretty obvious that that would affect it. But um, he's saying, you know, honest mistake. It was an honest mistake. And then um, he, after he sent out the tweet, um, actually a couple weeks afterwards, he eventually got out a correction tweet with his attorney saying, you know, 
we were he was referencing a number that was like in a range he was talking about annualized production all this stuff to kind of like cover their butt but the key thing here is that no one reviewed the tweet before he sent it no one has reviewed any of his tweets before he sends them as he stated publicly in a 60 minutes video which violates the like settling he had when the sec sued him which is just crazy um that he's admitting this and the SEC had to just be waiting for him to do something like this. Oh, absolutely. And now that he finally did, they are um, asking a judge to hold him in contempt of court. Um, yeah. It seems like a nightmare to be that guy's lawyer. Yeah. So, total shit show. Um, so, basically, by December, um, around the time where he was trash-talking the SEC on 60 Minutes, the Tesla stock had recovered from, like, his pot-smoking shenanigans from him getting sued. You know, they were back up. And then now, since this has all happened... Um, in 2019, they are down another 26% since September. So they've, they're taking the stock is taking a beating over this. Um, yeah. I know personally, like over this whole saga, my perception of Elon Musk kind of went from he was a extremely unique individual who has a lot of crazy success. You know, maybe a bit of a damaged personality. He had a tough upbringing, and he has like a very weird personal life where he just pours himself into all these issues and maybe struggles, you know, making connections with people because he's so busy with all these companies. But the way he has kind of put that, um, that, uh, weakness and brokenness on display with his Twitter has made me, you know, think like less, he's just kind of a, an intense guy and more of like, he needs help. And like, yeah. Um, two things with this one Tesla and Elon Musk are one of the cases where, the founder, CEO, and the actual company are so closely tied that it's very difficult to separate them because it's not like Tesla is going on Joe Rogan and smoking weed and tweeting about anime, but it kind of seems like that because Elon Musk is so involved with Tesla and everything that happens there. He's like Steve Jobs, right? Because a lot of people who worked under Steve Jobs, I've... Uh, talk to engineers who worked under Steve Jobs who were like he was so involved with everything but still regarded as one of the most brilliant engineering minds in history well one of the differences between Steve Jobs and um, Elon Musk is that you know Steve Jobs eventually became like design guy you know people would bring things to him and he would um, kind of give the yay or nay he would review products and stuff but he wasn't really like um, working with the like the engineering problems at a low level yeah but um, in every interview I've seen with Elon Musk when he describes his day-to-day -day work it's like he's on the factory floor like working on how like certain problems can be solved mm -hmm. so like he doesn't really play the traditional CEO he plays like a uh, almost like the highest level like principal engineer at a company where absolutely he just kind of plays like I am engineer number one I go around solve engineering problems that I find interesting and the ones that I think can most impact our business. And, you know, maybe he's not thinking about the, like, strict business side all the time, but he's able to have a massive impact on his companies by solving these tough engineering problems that maybe not a lot of other people can solve. So there's a lot of people calling to replace him as CEO, and I think if he was replaced as CEO of his companies, we would then see, you know, if his, like, unique engineering talent is having an impact or if, you know, he just kind of likes to talk the talk. Yeah, if he's just an ideas man or if he truly knows what's going on. And I like to think that he's a, he's a super smart guy and he knows what he's talking about. But, uh, 
maybe we'll see sooner than later whether that's true or not. And I think, like, when we think about, like, the the foremost, like, minds of our time, a year ago you would have, like, put Elon Musk up there and, like, the just, like, absolutely brilliant, you know, he's done such good, like, such mm-hmm. impressive statistics. And, like, with what's happened to him in this last year, it's interesting to see what path he's going to go down. Like, are we going to remember him as like this brilliant mind who's done all this good for the world and had these successful companies or is it going to be like the tragic story of someone's like downfall as seen through social media yeah it's crazy just how public it is yeah he's he's the eccentric billionaire type while simultaneously being a hardcore engineer um and i don't know (laughs) great movie character i guess yeah i mean i'm sure we'll there'll be one in the future but um I don't know. I'm personally hoping that he kind of has a come to Jesus moment on this. I don't know. Like maybe eventually he realizes that, you know, the trolls on the internet aren't worth it. But I mean, he says it's just like an emotional outlet for him. And so maybe he'll just keep this up and keep his companies moving at a good clip. You know, I mean, just this week they announced that they're finally starting to sell the the Model 3 at the $35,000 that they originally announced it. So. I mean, they're expecting those things to come flying off the assembly line, and they're ready for it, apparently, with these production numbers that are maybe slightly lower than he's saying. But, yeah, um, I mean, it's a really transformative thing to be able to sell these great of electric cars at this price. Absolutely. What does it start at, like $35,000? Yeah, $35,000 for a Tesla. And then last week, they had a mod, like a, a SpaceX ship launch up to the ISS yeah. that... Um, is like a human carrying ship. There weren't humans on board this time, but they're, you know, it's the first step in transporting humans into outer space. So, I mean, it's not like his companies are stalling and struggling. You know, they're making great progress, but is he helping that or is he hindering it? And I think it's a question that we'll see based on, you know, how his board determines to handle his actions in the next year. Um, I personally, I mean, I'm a sucker for like the Steve Jobs, the Elon Musk, like, story of how genius they are but i could see something happening where you know maybe in a few years down the line he's not really the public face of these companies anymore yeah i absolutely can see that um on a side note i very much want a tesla um (laughs) it's a really cool car who doesn't yeah um maybe by the time we graduate there will be some sort of really good sedan or something that they have um so if I'm out in the bay and I need to get a car or something, I could get a Tesla. But or Tesla will as, just partner with Waymo, and then you can have self-driving Teslas come pick you up and like yeah. a, a network, so you don't actually have to own them. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, crazy companies, interesting guy. Um, that's where we are in the saga right now, and who really knows where we're gonna go? Yeah. Um. <laughs> I mean, Elon Musk is definitely quite the character uh we'll have to see what happens from here you got anything else that's all i got this episode it was kind of a quick one yeah it was kind of a quick one it was it's kind of nice we got a midterm tomorrow shouldn't be too bad but uh yeah it's been pretty fun yep all right that's all i got i'll see you next week see you next week and you can follow us on twitter interact with us there shoot us a dm tweet at us we are at hackers pod send us an email hacker slacker pod at gmail.com and we'd love to hear from you Thanks. Bye. Bye.